0: Hi, guys, this is Melanie. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that we had a slight snafu with some of the audio quality for this episode, but don't worry, everything will be back to normal next week. Welcome to episode four of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of the What When Wine Diet, Paleo and Intermittent Fasting for Health and Weight Loss. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, Check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast
1: New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order. beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends. Now, back to the show.
0: Hi, and welcome. This is episode four of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everyone. And we're just so excited to talk to you today. Um, the, The podcast has been going so well. We've been getting really good listener questions, and we're just really excited about the future of everything. And so on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about the science of intermittent fasting and get into some of the details about that. Um, But before we jump in, Jen, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. How about you?
0: I'm good. I'm really good. (laughs) Is there anything new in your life?
2: Well... Yes, I have one son who's finishing up his second year of college and he'll be coming home this week for a, a few days before he jet sets off for the summer.
0: That's exciting.
2: He's going to be in San, Fran- San Francisco doing an internship. And my other son is about to graduate from high school, so we are about to be empty nesters very soon.
0: Oh, wow. Is he, is he going to college? or?
2: He's going to go to the Savannah College of Art and Design, which is in Savannah, Georgia, and he's very excited about that. You know, I've got the the one creative son, left the left brain one at Georgia Tech and the right brain one going off to SCAD and it's it's that's just awesome. very exciting. How about <laughs> how about you? What's happening in your life? Um,
0: so I've been so my my book that I have that's self-published, I'm actually re-releasing it through a publisher and the new version is going to have wine pairings with some recipes and I realized that and I'm going to do the wine pairings. And I realized I have no actual credibility <laughs>
1: to provide <laughs> wine pairings
0: besides my passion for wine. Um, so I've been taking a wine course, uh, the W set, which is kind of kind of intense. And the exam is this next weekend. So I've basically just been studying like every type of wine, varietal, everything. It's just been – it's intense. My whole brain right now is wine. Well, that
2: that sounds very <laughs> exciting and I can't think of a more – Um, thrilling thing to study because of course you have to sample as you're studying it. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) Now I'm curious on the exam, will you have to taste wine as a part of that?
0: Not for, I'm doing level two, um, level, level three you have to. So if I go beyond that, I will. But I have been trying a lot of wines, so it's really exciting.
2: I've learned so much. <laughs> that's great. If you need a study partner, let me know.
0: Oh, I will. I will. Um, that's a good thing about intermittent fasting as well is we can drink our wine.
2: Absolutely. So
0: it's all good, <laughs> but I'm um, speaking of. So we will return to the subject at hand. Um. So like I said today, we're going to talk a little bit about the the science of intermittent fasting and give you some information about how things actually work on a biological level in the body. So, Jen, would you like to start with the role of insulin with intermittent fasting?
2: Yes, I would love to. And of course, you know, you know, Melanie and I are not physicians. We're not endocrinologists, but both of us love to research. Am I right?
0: Yes. <laughs> it's like all I do.
2: Exactly. And so we've both done a great deal of reading about weight loss and dieting and how the body works. And as I've read over the years, many different experts come back to a key player in the process and that is insulin. Now, if you ask the average person, how do you lose weight? They're going to say, well, of course you just count your calories. We've all heard of calories. We know you just count your calories, eat less, move more, and you will lose weight. But that did not work for me very well. And how about you, Melanie?
0: Yeah, not so much, not at all.
2: <laughs> no. So there are reasons why biologically that doesn't work so well, You just cutting your calories over a long period of time. You really need to work on some key players. And if you're trying to access your stored fat, you are going to want to understand insulin and how that works in your body. Now, before I get into insulin, I want to say, the body is very complex, and hormones do not work in isolation. They work together. But if you understand how insulin works in your body and what its basic function is, it can help you be more successful with intermittent fasting. You know, There's some rookie mistakes that, that I made when I first started, and a lot of people get really caught up in them. Um, basically, what you need to know is insulin has been called the fat storage hormone. And if you have a lot of insulin circulating in your body, it also has been known to prevent fat burning. I know many listeners have heard of insulin resistance. It's something that that is a popular topic in diet communities these days. And many people say, oh, I think I'm insulin resistant. What that means is basically you have high levels of circulating insulin all day long. And your body releases insulin, of course, in response to what you eat what you drink, and if you've got high levels of insulin going around all day long, you are constantly locked into that energy storage mode. It's like your fat is locked away in your fat cells. You just can't access it. Have you ever felt like that was happening for you, Melanie?
0: So much. It, it just feels like there's like a, a wall up and you can't tap into it. It's like when you run out of food, then there's just nothing there for energy. Exactly. That I would have.
2: And I think that's a great way of looking at it because your body can't tap into those fat stores. You're hungry. And so you you need a snack. And so you eat the snack. Your body releases more insulin. That energy gets stored as fat and the cycle continues. So it's it's a vicious cycle and it's like you're locked into fat storage mode. So the key... Is figuring out ways to bring down your insulin levels so you can tap into that fat store, uh, the fat that you have stored on your body, just as nature intended. I mean, that is why it is there. So there are many diets that claim that you can tap into your fat stores if you just you know follow their diet plan and eat a certain way. The problem is that foods cause insulin release. You know, even protein. You know, we all think of carbs when we think of you know insulin release, but even protein causes your body to release insulin in response. So what do you think is the very best way to bring down your insulin levels? Any guesses? Um, I'm going to guess that it starts with an F, maybe. Absolutely, and it is fasting. (laughs) Fasting is the very best way to bring down your insulin levels over time. And I want to bring about a very important distinction, and that is what we call fasting clean in our Facebook groups. You can fast in many different ways. And you know, I drink sparkling water, I drink coffee, but there are some things you can drink that actually cause you to release insulin even if you are not having any calories. And so the key to that is sweetness. And boy, this is a this is a tough one for a lot of people. You know, go back to diet sodas, think about those. Have you ever been a big diet soda drinker in your life, Melanie? I was like the diet soda girl. Coke Zero. Oh, yeah. Love. Constantly. Constantly. That was me. I mean, it was a long time ago, and, but I did. I was big into the diet sodas for years. And it, then even when I started fasting, I drank a lot of black coffee, but I would sweeten it with Stevia because we all know it's natural and it's healthy if it's natural, right? Exactly. I,
0: I was bad. I would do the like the straight-up artificial
2: sweeteners. But then I did stevia as well, but because you feel like you're you're making a good choice because you're going to something that is promoted as all natural and and it has zero calories. And if we've been trained in the, the calorie in calorie out model of obesity and being overweight, then you know you think well zero calories means it's perfectly fine. Well, I have done some research about that, and it all started when I read um, the Obesity Code. Have you read the Obesity Code?
0: Yeah, I, I need to. I It's like the one, it's one of the ones that I haven't read. I need to. I love, Um, it's Fung, right?
2: It is. It is. Jason it's Dr. Jason fun. yeah. Fung. And it really, you know, I was lying to myself for a long time about my beloved coffee with Stevia and I lost a lot of weight and I did it drinking Stevia, but then I started to have some persistent weight gain. And, you know, everybody knows you regain weight, right? Well, the problem was I was still... Drinking stevia all day long, and I was constantly spiking my insulin. So I read the obesity code, and he reports in that book that some things such as aspartame and stevia actually raise insulin levels higher than table sugar. And so, you know, you would not even dream of having sugar in your coffee and consider that to be fasting, but we're certainly happy to put in the zero calorie sweeteners. And that is causing your body to release insulin all the time. So at that time, I was, I, I realized, okay, look, I've got to just do it. So I stopped. I cut it out. I started fasting clean. And immediately, I noticed a huge difference. I was no longer having the hunger during the day. And it was just so much easier to fast. Have you done any studying about that yourself, Melanie?
0: Yeah, I have. Um, there's, t- Yeah, it's great. And speaking of studies, um, if we have any studies that we talk about on the podcast, audience, we'll put links to those studies in the show notes. So anything that we talk about here, you can go on to our website,
2: ifpodcast.com,
0: and you can look up the links to things that we discuss.
2: Absolutely. And I did. I have a couple I want to highlight here. And I did highlight both of them in my book because they're just so very simple. And when you read them, you totally get it. you're, You're, oh, now it makes sense. And the first one was a study that was done on rats. And in this study, they found that everything sweet that they put on the rats' tongues, so basically they're just tasting the sweetness, even zero calorie sweetness. They tried sugar, they tried different zero calorie, they call them non-nutritive sweeteners. Well, there was an insulin response just from having that placed on their tongue. And here's the fascinating part. They then, remember this is rats, not people, so they cut the nerve, that connects the tongue to the brain and they put the sweet flavor back on the tongue and there was no insulin release. So I found that to be so fascinating because it showed that the brain perceives so the brain. It was the brain. Yep. If the sweetness gets to the brain, the brain says, all right, we're going to be eating some food now time to, to have some insulin because that's what the body does. You eat your body releases insulin. We're, we're tricking, basically, we're, we're trying to trick the body by having these zero calorie sweeteners, but the brain doesn't understand. So the brain thinks, all right, time to release some insulin because that's what, what happens. So that just really made me realize, you know, what am I doing with all of this sweetener all day long? So then there's one other study where they used humans this time. And of course, you know, some people don't like rat studies. They want to see human studies. But in this one, they did They took some healthy humans, so I I imagine they were not, you know, insulin resistant themselves, and they were in the fasted state, and they did an experiment where they swished around a sweet liquid in their mouth. They tried a sucrose solution, that's sugar, and then they also tried a zero-calorie artificial sweetener. They didn't even swallow it. They just spit it out, and guess what happened?
0: I remember. I read this study, actually.
2: (laughs) Because I remember the swishing around in the mouth thing. Yeah, they, they had an insulin response even without actually swallowing it. So that goes right back to the rat study and shows that it's what your brain thinks is happening. And so you may think you're helping yourself get through the fast easier because you're having your diet soda and you're not adding any calories, but instead you're constantly spiking your insulin. So you're preventing yourself from accessing your stored fat to the degree that you could. And I also want to add certain fruity flavors can do that as well. I once had a very noticeable response to a strawberry-flavored mineral water. It was all natural. It came from Whole Foods. It was mineral water, no added ingredients other than natural strawberry flavor. But within an hour or so after drinking that, I felt shaky. And, And that's exactly what you would expect to happen if you had an insulin release. Your body clears out you know the insulin clears out the blood glucose so i had a crash even though i hadn't been eating it just it was very interesting
0: yeah i think i have that same response as well to the flavors and yeah. everything
2: so and yeah. and that's something that's so hard for people to to really get their minds around you know i'm in the facebook groups and people who are new really have a hard time understanding that well look it's zero calories it's natural fruit flavor how can this be a problem and then eventually when people try it you know they they immediately think hey this is not affecting me i can drink diet soda and then eventually they'll try it without the the sweetened whatever it is and they're amazed once they start fasting clean they find that they get off of a plateau the weight loss is faster fasting is easier it's pretty amazing
0: yeah i felt so much better once i finally bit the bullet cuz i did use Lots of like I said sweeteners when I first started fasting and and I mean intermittent fasting was so such an amazing shift that I saw results in the beginning even with the sweeteners but then once I cut them out it was just like the fog
2: lifted yeah and I I think that's just the you know the the main thing to remember you want your insulin low and the best way to do that clean fasting it's wonderful. All right.
0: And so I, I will talk about another scientific aspect of intermittent fasting, and that's the metabolic advantages of IF compared to traditional dieting. So what I'd like to start with is there's basically been one diet approach that has been studied for increased longevity, and that's calorie restriction. And, um, calorie restriction across the board they've has shown that it, it's just amazing for anti-aging and also has other health benefits like pre- help preventing di- type 2 diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease um, but the problem <laughs> with all of that is that chronic dieting and low calorie intake and calorie restriction as a lifestyle is just not very sustainable. And it's not very fun. No. (laughs) You're hungry. (laughs) You're hungry. Um, You might be lethargic. It also can increase hunger hormones. It can raise your body's set point. So you're more likely to gain fat. It can affect your thyroid. So it's just with calorie restriction, I guess it's really difficult to have your cake and eat it too, which (laughs) I guess that's like the perfect time to use that phrase. Um, But basically what they're starting to find now is that Intermittent fasting as a dietary approach actually provides the benefits of calorie restriction without the calorie restriction, um, which is absolutely amazing. Um, So, some of the reasons that that happens is intermittent fasting, it works like a hormetic stress, which is similar to exercise. So, basically, that's a punctuated stress that um, your body adapts to and grows stronger afterwards. And that's compared to something like a chronic stress, where it's just like a constant low-grade stress that's wearing your body down, which I feel like calorie restriction is more likely to turn into a chronic stress, whereas intermittent fasting is more like a punctuated hormetic stress. Um, So there's been a lot of studies on it. I read one 2012 study about intermittent fasting, and they found that it actually – increased cellular stress resistance and stimulated protective stress genes greater than calorie restriction. So not only is this comparable to calorie restriction, it might actually surpass that. And there's a lot of different reasons that that might happen. Um, For one, fasting does seem to upregulate neurotrophic factors and things in the brain that um, just protect the body. And there are these things called stress proteins. um, And actually, or stress protein chaperones, and they have protective mechanisms in the body, and intermittent fasting helps that as well. It helps with cell repair. It just helps rejuvenate everything in the body, so um, it's really amazing for that. And then I'll speak about something we've talked about on previous podcasts, and that's how intermittent fasting relates to protein, quote, I guess, protection, (laughs) Um, and a thing called autophagy. So the problem with traditional dieting and calorie restriction is because you are eating presumably throughout the day, probably small amounts of protein, your body is going to wait for the protein that you eat to, to um, it's basically going to be relying on the protein that you're eating. Um, so it's very likely that you're not going to get enough if you're in a calorie restricted state. The intermittent fasting on the other hand, by going into the fasted state during the day, and completely cutting out protein and this this is going to seem a little bit ironic and not intuitive but by completely cutting out protein your body realizes well I'm not getting protein from diet so what am I going to do so it actually does something very smart and it starts it turns to itself and your body starts looking for old broken down proteins all all within our cells and all throughout us and actually recycles those and breaks those down and, um, utilizes those for protein. So compared to traditional dieting, uh, intermittent fasting actually protects your protein stores, even though you take in no protein, which is just, it's counterintuitive, but it's fascinating. And I think we talked about this before, Jen, that that's one of our favorite things about intermittent fasting.
2: (laughs) It really is. And of course, this, this also is just what I just was talking about with the insulin. You're not taking in the food. So just like you said, we're able to Access the process called autophagy, where we can get to our protein, but also because we're not taking in food, we're able to access our fat stores. So both of these processes can occur because we're not eating frequently.
0: So, like with traditional dieting, you're 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 basically forcing your body to rely on what you're eating.
2: Exactly, and, and,
0: that, and that's not going to be enough because you're dieting. <laughs> you know, so you're you're always going to be hungry. Whereas, like what Jen said with insulin and fat, and what we just talked about with the protein, with intermittent fasting your body, instead of relying on the not enough food that you're eating, it turns to itself. Um, so the last thing I'll talk about is intermittent fasting and the metabolism, because people people freak out and they think that their metabolism is just going to plummet and die.
2: They say, oh, but your metabolism is going to crash.
0: And people get angry too. Like when I tell people that about intermittent fasting, I've had people get like, mad, like Like they respond like really angrily. <laughs> like, um, that's terrible for your metabolism as if, as if I'm like doing something illegal or something, which it's not even terrible for your metabolism. But, um, let me talk about that. <laughs> so basically your metabolism, the rate of it, your uh, BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate. It's not dependent. It's dependent on total how much you eat over at like a 24 hour period rather than how much you're eating this literal second um so there's been this one quote that i read in a study years ago and it has stuck with me i don't know why it's it's just stuck with me completely um i just like the way it's phrased i guess um but i'll link to it in the show notes but it was a study looking at total energy expenditure over 24 hours and their conclusion was that they found quote no difference between nibbling and gorging (laughs) So basically over 24 hours, um, as far as eating and your metabolism is concerned, there's not any difference in how many in your, in your metabolic rate, if you're snacking and eating constantly, or if you eat, if you gorge, if you (laughs) eat in a punctuated amount, speaking to that with intermittent fasting, since you are presumably eating, you get, you eat a, a lot in your window, you eat, um, to fulfill your caloric and your nutritional needs, it's not going to lower your metabolism. Related to that, eating constantly also does not speed up your metabolism. Which people people will say, "Oh, well, when you eat, you're you're burning calories." Then, like you need to eat to make to stimulate your metabolism. Which the thermogenic effect of food, which is basically calories that you um, are going to burn by eating, it differs for protein, fat, carbs, and alcohol, but it's around ten percent average regardless of when you eat it or how much you eat at one time let's say you eat like 1800 calories on one day you're gonna burn 10% of that quote you're gonna quote burn 10% of that um, like so around 180 calories um, from eating but it doesn't matter if you eat those calories all throughout the day or if you eat them all at once either way you're gonna burn the same amount regardless so you don't need to eat to speed up your metabolism it doesn't really work like that
2: I do have one study have you seen the one about up to 72 hours the energy expenditure actually goes up
0: that was my next point oh I'm so sorry (laughs) we're on the same page we're crazy (laughs) oh that's so funny um yeah my my, the next thing I was going to bring up was that some studies actually find that your BMR increases
2: while fasting um that's so funny we're both going to say that I, wait, what year? Do you know what year? I did not write it down. Um, is it called resting energy expenditure and short-term starvation is increased? Yeah, it's
0: increased as a result of, <laughs> of an increase in serum yeah. norm,
2: epinephrine. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah. So in that study, um, they analyzed the basal metabolic rate of healthy lean individuals at various stages of fasting. Basically, in that study, they found that between one and eighty-four hours, that the metabolic rate actually increased, which was very,
2: very interesting. What we see then is instead of your metabolism slowing or even staying the same, it may speed up. And I've seen this referenced as a, I guess, a a benefit to intermittent fasting all over the place when anyone writes about intermittent fasting. If your metabolism is actually going up from this short-term fasting period, I mean, who could argue with that? That, That's the benefit we're looking for. Our metabolism is not crashing. It's actually showing a little bit of a boost.
0: It's very protective of metabolism. And I would even make the argument that, um, I read one study that said that that when metabolism, the, quote, the metabolism dropping is due to the body's per- perception of an energy deficit. Um, so I would actually make the argument that with intermittent fasting, since your body turns to stored body fat and does actually begin upregulating uh Fat and ketones for energy. It's not perceiving a deficit anymore in a way, so it it would further be protective of the metabolism because you, you're increasing your energy stores.
2: That's exactly um, the way I understand it. And if you you've got to read the obesity code, you are going to love it. I but will. yes, you've got to. But that's exactly that's exactly how it's explained in there. Your body is not perceiving an energy deficit because you've got plenty of energy and you're burning it throughout the day. So your body is burning your stored fat. And your body is, oh, I'm happy now. I have plenty of energy. So the metabolism does not need to drop. It can rev up. And you may even find if you've got a lot of fat on your body and you're burning away, you're not even hungry. Um, some people find that to be true. As they begin to intermittent fast, they're just not hungry at all. Because their, their hunger hormones say, all right, we're good.
0: Awesome. But hopefully that helps you a little bit. If you're a little bit just curious about what's going, what's happening in the body with intermittent fasting or just or nervous that you're doing some damage or that it's not going to be healthy for you, don't worry at all. (laughs) It's a a wonderful state to be in, um, and it's very healthy and very effective. All right, so now we're going to jump into the listener Q&A portion of our show. So, Jen, do you want to read the first one?
2: Yes, I will. I will read this one from Kay. Hi, Kay. Thank you for your question. And the question subject is the night shift. And Kay said, hi, I work the night shift in a hospital and I have 40 to 50 pounds I need to lose. I'm wondering how successful intermittent fasting will be for me since research shows that the incidences of metabolic syndrome are three times higher in night shift workers than those who work during the day. My protocol is to eat my meal in the evening with my husband, go to work, come home and sleep. Upon waking in the late afternoon, I do a fasted workout of either weightlifting or cardio I've been working nights for about two years, and I've noticed that I'm having a harder time losing weight than before. Are there any special tweaks I should make as a night shift worker? Will this inherently be a slower process for me or even work at all? So what do you think, Melanie?
0: All right, so it's very, very true that our internal circadian rhythms affect... Are, they're very intrinsic to our health and they do affect our weight and our body composition. Um, so all of our cells, this is something, most people just think that we have one natural circadian rhythm and that's in our brain and that's determining when we're tired and when we're sleepy and that it's um, in line with the like light,
2: the and sun
0: and the sun and the moon. Um, but actually all of our cells all individually have natural circadian rhythms and they're just finding out more and more about this now. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. So basically your, your brain has a rhythm, but also your, like your digestive system, your pancreas, all the cells all throughout your body have their own, their own rhythm, their own circadian rhythm. That's around 24 hours. And so you want those to all be in line. Um, but the problem with today's lifestyle and our different different work aspects and how we live our lives is that like um, uk they're not always in line and unfortunately we'll have situations where we are not in line we're not in tune with the sun and the light and we're eating at different hours and things just get out of whack and we don't want those different clocks to be competing we want them to all be in line um, but that's often not the case Um, and so what happens is the body just gets Um, confused because it's getting different signals about what should be happening at certain times. So it is not, of course, it's not ideal, the situation that you're in. I don't know exactly what um, her night shift hours are, like, because I actually um, have in the past and still do work um, a later shift where I do get off later, but that's me getting off around, like, around um, 11 p.m. or so. I don't know if you're doing an actual, like, night shift. Overnight. Yeah, which those are rough. Um, (laughs) but I would just see, so my, my thoughts are, yes, it's, you are starting with, um, an obstacle in a way, but I think that you can definitely use intermittent fasting to your benefit in this, in this circumstance. Um, because by doing intermittent fasting, you're going to establish a routine cellular rhythm for your eating pattern. Um, so you're not going to be, having your eating changing all the time, which would just kind of convolute things and make things, I think, more difficult. So I think if you can find a pattern that works for you, which it sounds like the pattern that you're doing right now is working for you, but you are, I mean, you are having a little bit of difficulty. Um, I think if you can find one that works for you and stick to it, then you will see results. Yes, they might not be as fast as if you were doing a traditional job, um, but I don't think it's going to completely stop your progress. You could try different things. Like I know you said you you eat and then you go to work. You could I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what your hours are, but you you can maybe try eating after your shift and then going to bed and seeing if that works better. Um, I don't. What are your thoughts, Jen?
2: I think you answered the question very well overall. With the the whole discussion about circadian rhythms and how it affects your body to be kind of out of sync with with your natural rhythms. I just think that the process is going to be slower. And it, you know just find that rhythm that that suits you right now. She eats before she goes to work and then comes comes home and sleeps. Just figure out a way, you know, stick with that pattern that feels right to you and just expect that it is going to happen at a slower rate.
0: Yeah, and the reason I was suggesting maybe trying different things, maybe if you did eat after your shift, then you're going to have an even longer period of activity in the fasted state. um, And that might encourage more fat burning and weight loss. I think that's
2: an excellent point.
0: So that's one reason I might try, you might want to try eating after your shift because it's great that you're starting the day with your workout. um, But then maybe if you can, Start the day with the workout and not, eat. yeah, try that. <laughs> try not eating before the shift. Um, try eating after and see if that works maybe a little bit better.
2: Great suggestion.
0: Okay, so we're going to move on to one more listener question. And this one comes from Barbara. And the subject is fasting. And she says, What are the benefits of an extended fast seven days? I am so, oh, and she just says, I am so excited for this podcast. Um, I absolutely love Jen's book delay don't deny and keep up and keep up to date on the two facebook pages delay don't deny and one meal a day i don't read any others you two will be very successful in this endeavor woohoo so (laughs) thank you barbara i love i love hearing that thank you um so her question though she wants to know about the benefits of an extended fast for example around a week or so uh do you want to start with that jen
2: i will and thank you barbara i love i love hearing that from you Um, First of all, as I go back to the insulin that I discussed earlier, if you have a longer fast, then yes, it will be beneficial for bringing down your insulin levels over time because you'll have zero stimulation from food or sweet beverages because, of course, I assume you're going to be fasting clean. And I've read a a great deal about longer fasts, and they have many healing benefits in the body. But I do want to point out one caveat, and that is, the, the, what, the effect of the longer fasts on the body's metabolic rate. You know, people think, hey, intermittent fasting is great for weight loss, so I just am going to go for days and days and weeks and weeks. That must be even better. Actually, the opposite might be true. I've read several books on fasting for health purposes, and they were written by you know, physicians who may have a, a fasting clinic, and people come and they do longer fasts for, you know, 21 days or something like that and they've worked with hundreds of patients. One book in particular specifically says, hey, this is great for your health, but your metabolism is going to slow down. Do not do the longer fasts of this nature for the purpose of losing all of your weight and then boom, now you're at your goal and you're gonna resume eating. No, a longer fast is great for health purposes, but may slow your metabolism and that is certainly not what you want. You don't want that rebound weight gain at all. And it, it's also hard on the body to reintroduce food suddenly. So you have to be very careful when you're doing a long fast. There's actually something called refeeding syndrome, which doesn't sound pleasant at all. And it can happen if you just, you know, like I've been fasting for seven days and now I'm going to have a cheeseburger. You know, your body, that that's not going to be very good for your, for your system. So it's important to make sure that you are either supervised by a medical professional or that you really research it and know how to break the fast properly. I've I've tried to research this and find, you know, what is the research on longer fasts and metabolic rate? And I just can't find it out there. The uh, most cited research is the one we talked about before with the short-term fast up to the 84 hours.
0: Yeah, so I, I do think it could be a very healthy healing process if you have something very specific that you're trying to tackle and you're doing it from a medically supervised or in a medically supervised situation. Like you said, I think you said it perfectly. I wouldn't do it for weight loss at all. I would do it if you're have a very intense health issue that you're trying to address that you think could be remedied through an extended fast. Um, but I wouldn't do it for weight loss. I've never done an extended fast. I've actually never, <laughs> never fasted longer than a day. Um, I know. It's crazy, um, but and part of me wishes now. I feel like I'm. I mean, I am at a very low body weight. So I don't think I could even safely do an extended fast. Part of me kind of wishes I had tried one like way back when when I had the weight to lose, um, just for the healing benefits and the rejuvenation of the body. Um, but I wouldn't. I yeah. So I wouldn't recommend it though for weight loss. I, I've actually, but I have been looking into. Have you heard of the fasting mimicking diet? I have. Yes. I've been doing a lot of research on that because that's something sort uh, pretty new in the research field it's by this uh, researcher at USC, actually. Um, I've been looking at that fasting-mimicking diet is actually eating lower calorie, but you're still eating and you're trying to sustain the fasted state. Um, so maybe we'll talk about that in the future because I'm actually really fascinated by that. I obviously haven't done it. But yeah, so I think we're completely on the same page with the longer fast.
2: You know, neither of us are doctors, as I said, but the longer fasts really make me nervous because I feel like you could get into the danger zone and not even realize you're you're hurting yourself. So I yeah. would never recommend it. Any kind of longer fast. Yes, the intermittent fasting, you know, the daily eating window, that's safe. But a longer fast, if you if you want to do something like that, There are clinics, there are doctors that that can supervise you, but like your mineral balance can get out of whack. I just don't think this is something I would feel comfortable recommending people do on their own.
0: I I I agree completely, hundred percent. Could be beneficial in very very specific medically supervised circumstances, but we don't we don't advocate it. Uh, Just intermittent fasting by itself is effective. Right. Wonderful. And so we just (laughs) suggest that you stick to that.
2: That's what I think too.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. It has been absolutely wonderful speaking or talking with you guys. Um, If you have any questions that you would like to submit for the podcast,